hello and welcome to the Grace Point Community Church Podcast Network. My name is Joey Butch. I'm the youth pastor at Grace Point Community Church, and I would like to welcome you to our weekly sermon series. This is the first time you've joined us uh, every Monday, the day after Sunday. That's how the weeks work. Uh, we post our sermon from the Sunday prior um, to our podcast network for people to either listen to it again or maybe if you missed it, give you a chance to hear it or even to share it with someone else. If you heard the sermon and thought, man, that was really good, uh, just a way for you to potentially share it with someone else or whatever, however you want to interact with it. Uh, we just want to give people the opportunity to uh, to hear what's going on at our church, and maybe somehow through there, God works through all this technology, and uh, and we continue to follow our mission, which is to get people saved, to get Christ uh, into people's hearts, and uh, and have people's eternities changed. And so, uh, this week, it was my turn to preach. Uh, I preached on uh, the transformation of Saul from of Saul from Saul to Paul, and uh, how what that means for our life and how we should act toward other Christians and uh, where the finish line really is, right? And so uh, without any further ado, here is me with uh, this week's sermon. Good morning. How are you all doing? Good? Yes, somebody somebody wake up. All right, good morning. Yeah, good to see you guys, or good to be seen, I guess. it's uh, it's uh, It's been a week, right? It's been a week. That's what that's what we'll say. It's been, definitely been a week. Um, I'm not Pastor Scott, obviously. Uh, Pastor Scott is still home recovering. He should be sleeping right now. Uh, he's under orders to get as much sleep as he can, but if you're watching, uh, go to sleep, man. All right, I'll do my best to preach boring enough to put you to sleep here so <laughs> take a nap man uh, relax uh, he, pastor scott always brags on the staff he always says this is the best staff he's ever had and so um, he's just been leaning on us for this last week and last couple weeks actually while he's been down and we're grateful to be able to help him he's helped us some i know i speak for the whole staff where he's gone and fought battles for us that we probably don't even know about and so um we're, we're here for you we have your back but we're excited for you when you do get back hopefully two weeks is the plan right now um, so that would be great. This is the first time you've watched the sermon from Grace Point. Uh, you're missing out on our best stuff. Pastor Scott Crothers is the senior pastor. He's been here for, it's a long, it's a hard way to explain. He's been here for eight years, but he was there 12 years before that, and then with a five-year hiatus in the middle. That's the right word, hiatus, right? right. Yeah, but he loves this place. He loves his people, and uh, they love him back. So uh, check us out in two weeks if you're like, gosh, I can't stand this guy. Don't worry. <laughs> I'm not the normal guy Pastor Scott is, and you'll, you'll probably like him. Uh, but this week, I want to talk about something that really usually frustrates me. I want to talk about uh, the concept and what it means to be clean and of cleaning in general. But I have to say right off the bat, I really hate to clean. It's not my thing. I have this weird relationship with cleaning where I either put it off forever or it's the only thing I can do at that moment. Does that make sense? So like, either I'm going to lock in and I'm going to clean this room until it's perfect or don't talk to me about it. I don't care that there's food from three days ago out. I'll get it when I get it, okay? That's how I am with the truck. Like, I have, you know, when you have kids, by the way, your car is never clean. Nobody told me that uh, beforehand. They didn't tell you some of the stuff you're, no, I still would have made the trade, you know, but you know, nobody warned me. Like, you never have a clean, 
vehicle ever. There's Cheerios, uh, there, there's food, there's toys, there's excrements, unfortunately, sometimes. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff in that truck that used to not be there before I had kids, all right? But that's great. You know, they're great. I love them. Hey, hi, Lily. Hi, Byron. Uh, you know, love you, love you, girls. Last week, I got to tell you, last week, I ended with a story about Lily, and it was the run to the father, like, you know, and, uh, and when I came home, she said, I saw you on TV. She said, you talked about me falling and hurting myself, and I ran to the father, and I was like, oh, my gosh, my three-year-old, like, are you kidding me? So she's, she's already got me totally wrapped around the thing. It's over. I'm done. I'm glad mom's around to even me out a little bit, but I just don't like to clean. It's not my thing uh, unless, unless I'm in that mood, and then it's all I can do, but... Um, we have this misconception that we have to be totally 100% clean before we can be used or come to Christ. Right. And I don't know why we do that. Maybe we use it as like a, um, a mechanism to defend ourselves from our own uh, shortcomings. I don't know how that meant. That, maybe that's getting too deep. But uh, well, there's kind of this theory like how it works. It's I was bad, so like, or at least I wasn't, uh, I, was, I was not good, right? Or what good is. So God is good. And you know you're living outside of that. You know you're not at least what good is supposed to be, right? So I was bad. Uh, so then I came to my senses, and God met me there, and now I'm good because of him. And that, that is really close to being the right formula. That's, like, that's almost there of how people come to Christ, right? Uh, but the, the, step, the second step in there, the like I came to my senses step, is really, it's a little watery. So let's talk about that for a second. Um, we, we so often think that God wants us to just be like perfect and bring our perfect self to him and then he'll use us. You know, people say, well, I'll, I'm just in a different time in my life right now. When I, when I get through my whatever stage, then I'll think about God. I've heard that one before. Uh, or the flip side, this one I hear all the time, people will say that God wouldn't want me because of what I've done. Or, or people will say the church would catch on fire if I walked in there. I say, don't worry, we have insurance, okay? Come on in. And we'll, we'll put that to the test, okay? We'll see who's right. Um, people think that they're so tarnished that God couldn't genu- genu- genuinely, sorry, I can't talk today, genuinely want them, right? That they couldn't be cleaned or that God would be unwilling to clean them or that they have this little imperfection that keeps them from starting the path of following God, right? Last week, I talked about the call that Christ has placed on each of our lives to follow Him. Uh, and how that might look different for each person, but how each of us share a similar core of a call, and that's to be Christ-like, to live our life in Him, right? And we talked about that's a process that happens over time, right? You don't have to have it all figured out right in the beginning. Uh, you, you, it can be over time as you live, okay? And so this week, I want to talk about what it means to be clean, like a real definition of that word, in the eyes of God, right? I'm not talking about go take a shower. It's not what we're talking about. We're talking about spiritually clean. And then God's ability to clean up any mess and the part that we get to play as Christians uh, in that process. It's pretty great. The, the truth is the world around us is, it's dirty. Okay, you don't have to look far to find impurities and imperfections and problems in the world. You just don't, Okay. And we're going we're gonna to cover this and kind of look at this by, by looking at, at Paul, or at least when he was introduced as Saul into the New Testament. Uh, we're going to look at his entrance into the Bible. And, and I'll tell you, it's covered in filth and dirt and, well, blood. Okay, that's just how it works. Anybody that tells you that the Bible's boring uh, or, or hasn't read enough of it, <laughs> like, like it, they haven't really dug into it, 
because if you really if you really consume it, it it's it's there's a lot happening in there okay but uh we're introduced to Saul and if I say Saul or Paul if I mix those up same person we're talking about here it's just Saul is before his uh transformation and then he's referred to as Paul after but same guy so don't freak out like who's what but um you, we learn about Paul first after the a murder after a killing of a Christian named Stephen uh, he's he gets stoned in the streets okay and I Looked up what that means, like what is it, what is stoning, like how did that work, and uh, don't look it up, okay? It's not it's not a pretty way to go. Stoning has been used throughout time as a means of either like mob justice, sometimes it's justice, sometimes it isn't, uh, or a means of legal execution. Some states or some countries have used that. Yeah, not that kind of stoning, Chuck. Not that kind. All right, we're talking about throwing rocks at people. All right, I got a peanut gallery over here. I love you. You're the best. Uh, but stoning. They stone people. They stone Stephen after he uh, preached a message, right? So, like, I hope you guys like this because I don't. You don't have any rocks, do you, back there? Like that. I didn't. Nobody told me that before I went into ministry. That there's an option there where if you preach bad or if you offend enough people, they'll just kill you right off the bat, right? But um, he he was probably tackled in the streets or held down and and stoned, pelted with rocks, rocks, stones thrown at his face until he died of just blunt force trauma. That's how you go. It's really not nice. I, I, my, I'm a curious person. I always have been. So I looked up, like, when's the last time that we know of when someone was killed by stoning? And do you want to take a guess? Anybody in here want to take a shot at home? You can play along. <laughs> yeah. The last documented stoning that I could find uh, online was uh, February of last year. Yeah. February of last year. We have not been a year since the last official stoning. Can you believe that? And so when it's, the, when it's an, a means of execution, what they do is men, they bury you to your waist, and women, they bury you up to your chest. I don't know why they bury you deeper. I'm sorry. I don't know why that happens. But, uh, and they throw rocks at you until you die. And in some countries, if you get out of the hole, uh, you, you get to survive. It's like you lived and, and your punishment is done. But no, people don't make it out of it. It's a, it's a grotesque thing. It's gross. And you're thinking, why are you telling me this? I'm sitting in my house in my pajamas eating fruity pebbles and I'm having a good day. Why would you tell me this? Um, the world, the world is, is dirty and needs saving. Like that's what we're capable of. Okay? We're capable of burying another human being in the ground and throwing whatever we can find closest to us until they're gone, until they don't exist anymore. Okay? So I know a lot of people like to, and I'm a positive guy. I, I am a positive guy. I live like that. That's how I live. But there is darkness in the world, and, and it, comes from, it comes from the sin in our lives, okay? So I just want to set that up there. That's, what, that's how Paul or Saul enters into the world, okay, or into the Bible uh, world here as we read about him. It, it's right after a stoning. In fact, uh, it's Acts 8, verse 1. It says, and Saul approved of their killing." Of, of Stephen. They approved of it. He was, he was red-handed from the, right off the bat. But he didn't just approve of it. He used it to start a persecution against the church. He didn't just sit there and go, this is good. He said, this is so good, we're going to go do something like this everywhere else. We're going to get rid of these Christians, okay? So uh, it goes on in Acts 8. It says, on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. 
Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. That was Acts 8, 1 through 3. So Saul doesn't only say the killing is good, but he's like, this is so good. Let's go, let's go root out the rest of these Christians and get rid of them. Hunting them down, breaking into their homes, and carrying them off like criminals. And it seems like he did it with a zeal, doesn't it? Almost like a smile. And I know it's hard. We don't want to apply what, we, you know, what I feel about it to what it was. But I think I can defend that position here for a second of how he almost did it with a smile. In Acts 9, 1-2, it says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. So he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way... Pause right there. The Bible does really cool things. I think I've said before, don't just read over it. Uh, it capitalizes the word way there. It's the way. Right? So it's not talking about a path. It's not talking about, it's talking about Jesus, okay? The way, the truth, the light, right? So I love that. I just had to tell you guys that. But um, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, who belonged to Christ, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. It says that he's breathing out murderous threats. That's such a descriptive line there. Breathing out murderous threats. Have you ever been around somebody uh, who seemed as though they thrived off their anger? Almost like they needed it to survive. It makes me immediately, because I'm a nerd, think of Star Wars, you know, like the dark side, you know, like give in to your hate or like let it flow through you, right? Like the dark side, power through anger, right? But there's a problem with that. The problem with power through anger is that you always have to have something or someone to be angry at. And so it starts with one group, and when you, but if you run out of people there, you have to substitute that with another group and another one, and another one. And eventually you run out, right? And so that's, that's kind of Saul's problem here. He is rooted all through Jerusalem. The Christians are either gone, hiding so well he can't find them, or in jail. Okay, He's run out of real estate in Jerusalem, so he, he's so hungry to hunt, out, hunt down these Christians, he goes to his bosses, basically, and he says, hey, let me go to the next town over. I'll find them out from there. That's motivation, Right? I mean, I, I don't condone what he's doing, but my goodness, that's motivation. So, something that gets skipped over here, and we've got to talk about this. Uh, Saul sounds like a man who's not just enjoying his job, but he believes 100% that his job is correct. 100% convinced that he's doing what is right. He views Christians as a perversion or distortion of, the, of his faith. Okay, that, that he's lived out his entire life. So just because you think that you might be doing the right thing doesn't always mean that you are. Sometimes we have to check with a source bigger than ourselves to find out if, we're, if it's our feelings or if we're actually on the path that God has for us. Because sometimes we can just be wrong. I can be wrong. You guys can be wrong. I promise you, you can be wrong and I can be wrong. We can all be wrong. And so it's it's a good practice to continually kind of lay our, okay, this is, God, this is where I feel like you're calling me over to him so we can make sure that we're on the same path he, that he wants us to be, right? We don't want our plan and his plan and them to be going separate directions. We kind of want to take the trace paper over top of it and just draw it out, right? But what does it mean to, to, be, to be clean? 
What does it mean for God when he says someone is clean? Well, it means to be sinless or without blame, okay? But there's a problem with that for us because none of us are that. So, like, that's immediately step one, boom, problem. We have an issue, okay? No matter how good of a person you try to be, you can't make it without Christ. And this, this is, I think this is a huge stumbling block for people in, in today's world. I don't know what you want to call it, post whatever people make up terms all the time to name the time i hate i just if that burns me just it's it's the present okay it's where we are but uh don't don't overcomplicate it it's where we are but uh no matter how good of a person you try to be you can't make it on your own if you could we wouldn't have needed jesus in the first place it's unnecessary for him to go through what he did if you and i can could have figured it out and pulled it off on our own and so people will say well i don't you know i don't know about jesus but i'm a good person And, and and that's I was almost said, I almost said that's okay. It's not okay. Uh, that's a start. That's what I'll say. That's a start. It's important to be a good person. It really is. But what is good to you and what is good to me can be different if we don't have a universal good. Right? If we don't if we're not basing our good off the same thing, then what's good to me and good to you can be different, which means both of us could be doing good and be killing each other. Hypothetically, right? That's how it works. That's just there can be no good unless there is a central good, okay? And and that's Christ. That's what we're talking about here. And so, uh, some uh, today I run into that a lot. Not physically today, but in today's time, right, where people will say, "Uh, "I don't know about Jesus, but I want to be good." And I'm like, "Well, you can't be good without Him, okay? Our good is not good enough. Because of this, we need Christ. But there's also good news to follow that." Um, he's really accessible to us. Okay, he's already done the hard work. He's already sacrificed himself to cover our own sin. Uh, the way the church refers to this a lot is like to be covered in the blood of Christ, right? To be covered in the blood of the Lamb. I remember when I was a kid, I would hear that term and I'd be like, "Ew, you want me to be covered in somebody's blood? That sounds terrible. Like that just that would be gross." Like that. So, if you're new to church or you haven't heard that before, uh, it's a figurative statement. Okay, people. Like, but it's also a physical covered in the, the sacrifice of Christ, okay? We're not expecting you to walk around with literal, like, blood on you. But in, this, in the spiritual sense of what Christ has done for us, you are covered by his sacrifice, the blood that he spilled. It's a reminder that he was a physical person. When he got beat, he felt it. When he bled, it fell to the ground and people saw it, okay? His blood was spilled for us. And so... The good news for us now is that we get to be covered by that sacrifice. Amen. Okay? Imagine Saul. This is this blew me away this week. Imagine Saul in his prayers, okay? Before he's encountered Christ, what we're about to talk about here. Uh, he, he's praying to God, and maybe he's praising the death of these Christians. So Saul is praying to, his, to God. God, right? Whose son very recently sacrificed himself for for the good of all humankind, bragging to him about the killing of the followers of Christ, thinking that he's 100% right. Those prayers must have been, I don't know if God can feel awkward, but like, man, that, 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 like just such an awkward kind of spot he was in. But he's about to be made known the error of his ways. And he's about to see, well, the way, right? Capital W. He's traveling to Damascus. Saul's going to a, a neighboring town, okay? He's got written permission to snuff out all the Christian activity in that area, in that city. Look, in hand, he's got it. 
he thinks what he's doing is absolutely right. It picks up in Acts verse 9, 3 through 6. He says, it says, As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I like that. That's a fun question. <laughs> he, he knows. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what to do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. You ever put yourself in a Bible story? Like, these poor guys. <laughs> They're walking with this dude and he just collapses to the ground and he starts having a conversation with a disembodied voice. Okay, It says right here that they heard the sound but did not see anyone. Whew. They're just looking around at each other like, is it, you guys hear this, right? Like, you, you see what's happening here, right? So Saul gets up from the ground, uh, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. Just a little insight to myself here. That's like my worst fear ever. I'd rather give up every other sense before sight. Like I, I'm afraid of, of total pitch black. Like it, it's a claustrophobic thing, really, is what I've been told. But like uh, when we went scuba diving uh, in the Marshall Islands uh, like six or seven years ago, uh, I, I, didn't, I don't like like endless deep water. You know, the, the, it's something, it's all the same fear, right? And so to hear, to just look up and be blind is terrifying to me personally. I don't know if you guys, maybe you'd be more comfortable with that, but it's just, it's terrifying for me. So uh, the men led him by the hand into Damascus, and for three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Three days. We'll talk about that and the significance of that in a little bit. But I love, 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 love accounts from the Bible where Jesus or God, uh, they, they directly intersect the path of, of, of humans, of us, okay? Because when we come into contact with Christ, rarely are we ever the same again. Or at least we always have the option to never be the same again. This is how God cleans up messes. He goes hands-on. He pulls up his sleeves. He gets, him, gets, him, gets his hands dirty, right? So one of two things happen when Christ uh, encounters us. We have, we have two options. Saul had these two options. You have the same two options. Option one, you can double down on your own stubbornness. Totally an option here, okay? Now, let's, let's walk that out. Imagine if Saul gets up and he ex- tries to explain it away. I just I fell and I hit my head and now I'm blind. Well, that makes sense, right? I could, sure, that could happen. And instead of going into Damascus for three days and sitting there, he goes back home, kind of panicking, but he goes back to Jerusalem and he just stays blind for the rest of his life and uh, and just never really thinks back on the encounter that he had with Christ, right? That's a real option here. We know the end of the story a lot of times we, you know, as we're reading it, so we, get the, we, we know what happened. But this is a real choice he could have made. It sounds kind of crazy that he would turn down such an opportunity, but, but we do it all the time. Like don't don't put it beyond the reach of people to turn down a genuine encounter with Christ, trying to explain it away. Okay, they, maybe we can't admit that we're flawed. A lot of the reason I think that people think they can be good enough for God is because they can't admit that they're not. For some reason, we feel this uh, this right to to goodness, like we invented it. But goodness comes straight from God, right? We live in denial and we shortchange everything that God desires for us to be. That's option one. That's a sad one. Option two, okay? Uh, we accept our shortcomings and the idea that, that we might actually need to be cleaned up by God, right? We accept it and we do what he's commanding us to do. So uh, this is the option that Saul chose, which is pretty great. He gets up 
he goes into the city and, and just waits. He waits, okay? This is classic God move. He, he gives enough of information to, to Saul just to get him to do the next step. Hey, go in town and wait. He's blind, right? Saul, Saul's blind. I, I don't know if wait, I would want more than that. I'm just saying. I would want some more information than that, but God usually does just enough to get you to take the steps, but he doesn't show you the end result, right? There's a faith involved here that, uh, that Saul starts right off the bat. So um, step away from the story just for a moment. God can clean up anything that we could possibly bring him. The only thing that's holding us back from being cleaned is ourselves, okay? And you know, I said it before, people say it all the time, you don't know what I've done, church, catch on fire, blah, 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 right? It's just not true, okay? God has used adulterers, murderers, uh, stutterers, uh, even, even tax collectors. My goodness, if, if he can use a tax collector, right, then I'm pretty sure he can use you too, okay? If God can use Saul, someone who was, who was bent on murdering Christians, if he can use him, then he can use you. If murder can be wiped off the slate, then whatever you're bringing to the table can be as well. Right? No mess is too big for God. So back to the story. So Saul is sitting in Damascus for three whole days, but God, as he always does, continually has his plan for him. And he recruits a Christian by the name of Ananias to be his, his instrument for salvation uh, for Saul, which is really cool. Check this out, Acts 9, 10 through 16. It says, in Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias, and the Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. And the Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. For he is praying, and in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias who uh, come to him and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he's come here with the authority from the chief of priests to arrest all who call on your name. I love when people give God information as though he didn't have it. <laughs> like, like uh, God, yeah, that's cool. I get what you're trying to tell me today, but you know what this guy does, right? Like, you know what he's about. Like, he's really about it, too. You know what he does? Like, God didn't know that before. Uh, but the Lord says to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So up to this point, the whole focus has been on, on Saul and his being cleaned up, right? It needs to happen. But there might be some of you sitting at home thinking, hey, I've, I've had that encounter with Christ. He's cleaning my life up, and it's a continual work, and I know I'm not there yet, but, but I feel like I'm not exactly at the beginning anymore. Well, that's great. That's really great. That's awesome. But just because you're no longer the Saul in this scenario doesn't mean that you don't have work to do. Okay, God might have already helped start to clean your spirit and make you new inside. You might be transformed by Christ, and that's great. Just because you aren't Saul anymore doesn't mean you're done. Now maybe you're Ananias. You're on the cleaning crew now. Right? You, when you get cleaned up, you get put to work. Okay? Without the faithfulness of Ananias here, Saul remains Saul, right? Blind and waiting in, in that house. This is encouraging. I don't know what it was for me. Uh, Paul seems like such an unattainable superstar, legend, like pillar of the faith, right? <laughs> like, like, oh my goodness, wrote, how, I, don't, I mean, a lot, a lot of the New Testament and like how many people are, are saved even now because of ministry that he did then, right? Blows me away. And for some people that might make them go, well, I could never be that 
so I can't start the process, okay? I have good news. You don't have to be Paul. In fact, only Paul was Paul. I don't have to be Paul. Jimmy doesn't have to be. Nobody has to be Paul here, okay? We have to, we're supposed to be us. So maybe uh, your role is closer to an Ananias, which is, there's nothing wrong with that, okay? Not everyone's called to be a Paul. Could you imagine a whole church of Pauls? Like, that wouldn't work, okay? I can just tell you right now, that would not work. There would be friction there, and it couldn't work out. A church full of Joey's? Like, no, we would we'd miss a lot of appointments. I'm just saying, okay? <laughs> like, like, I'm just putting it out there, you know? But, man, it would. It, whew, we need people that can keep track of calendars, you know, around here. But uh, we can't, you know, church, church full of any one individual. It wouldn't work, right? We're each called to play our part in the redemption of the people around us. Each of us can be an Ananias at one point or maybe a Paul in another point, right? Depending on what God is calling us to do in that moment. I mean, just think about the risk that Ananias takes here, right? God tells him to go minister to this guy who he knows is there to kill him. Talk about loving your enemy, right? But he goes through with it anyway. And I'm going to make this really simple. Why does he go through with it? Because God told him to. Let's Let's just simplify this all the way down. Simple is good, right? Simple doesn't mean stupid. I really, I really, I don't like to say hate, but I really dislike that correlation that simple means stupid. No, simple just means it's the simplest version of, of the truth, okay? So here it is. Uh, Ananias risks everything, not just his own life, probably his family's too, right? Because God told him to. And I, I really pray that you could simplify that decision that much in your own life, right? If you're struggling with what you're supposed to be doing, what God's calling you to do, uh, do what he's telling you to do. Don't, don't add the extra layers to it. Don't add the difficulty to it of what if this, what if that, but this, but that. He already has all the information. In fact, uh, he has more information than you do about the situation. So uh, just the simplest answer is just to do it because God has called you to. Right? It's just, let's make it simple. So Ananias does it. Acts 9, 17 through 19. It says, then Ananias went to the house and entered in. I love that that's written separately. Like he went to the house and then he entered in. Normally if you say you go to someone's house, it's just assume that you entered. I like to picture, and this is just my mind, but like he, he, walk, he goes to the house and stands there and like has inner monologue about like, should I go in? Like steps up, like I'm here. All right, God. Uh, yeah, man, I'm here. Like just stands there for a while, like maybe like half knocks and like maybe he just barely taps the door. Hello? Oh, they didn't hear me, God. Sorry, like no one's home, you know. No doorbell to ring, right? But uh, he gets to the door, and, and he clearly goes in. Two separate things he had to do there, right? He shows up, and then he enters the home. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, Brother Saul. Man, don't skip over a single word of the Scripture. His brother? His brother. Because of the command that God gave him, right? He doesn't hold any of Saul's past against him. If, if God has forgiven him, then what stand do I have to hold his past sins against him? Brother Saul, the Lord, Je- the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Whew. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized and after taking some food, he regained his full strength. Think about that. Ananias steps up to the plate, but, but Saul does something here too that, that is super easy to miss. Saul is very educated, especially for the time, okay? You could, he's probably top 
of the world of education, right? I mean, if, if you can read, right, well, the stuff he knows, okay, he's, he's educated. He has no clue who Ananias is, yet he lets Ananias lead him. Don't ever think that someone is too below your stature to teach you something or or, or to lead you to something that maybe you didn't see before, okay? Saul doesn't say, well, who are you? Give me your credentials. And the reason I think he doesn't do that is because he's been sitting in this house blind for three days, right? (laughs) Remember earlier I said we come back to that? God's timing is always perfect. Why do you wait three days? Well, maybe Saul needed some humbling in those three days, okay? Maybe he needed some, some time to sit with himself and figure out, okay, uh, maybe I'm wrong. Okay? And so the three days pass and he accepts this, uh, this outreach from Ananias and, and he's healed, right? Ananias does his part and Saul trusted God to provide and guess what? God did. So up to now, we've talked about you know, what being spiritually clean means to God and how God cleans up any mess. It doesn't matter how, how bad we think it is, right? Uh, but now I want to talk about the part that we have to play in all this really want to focus in on that, okay? And I really want to talk about like what Saul, or Paul, let's call him Paul now, what Paul does after his conversion, okay? He has every right to feel guilty about what he's done. In fact, some of the people he's about to minister to, he's probably imprisoned or led to the death of their family members, okay? Think about that. Think about that. But he knows what he has to do. So Paul can't not, I said can't not, right, double negative, he can't not preach about what's happened to him. He just can't, no matter what past he's had, okay? Which is awesome, because it does us very little good to bring our dirt and our grime to Christ and to let God, like, clean us up, and then, like, here's the pile of stuff that he left there, and for us to be like, thanks, God, for cleaning us up, man, that's really great here, just going to, like put this all back on and roll in it like a pig, right? And just put it all, get covered back in your sinful grime, right? It doesn't, thanks God for cleaning me up, but this stuff is really comfortable to me, so I'm just going to keep it a little bit longer. And and when I start feeling bad again, I'll come back here and you can dust me off again, but uh, I'll go right back through the dust on the way out, okay? That doesn't really do us any good. But we get tempted to do that. And why? Well, because this is, this isn't bad news, but this is real news, Okay. The enemy will not quit pursuing you after God helps you clean up your act. Okay? In fact, a lot of times he pursues you even more vigorously. When, like, when, you're, when you're not following Christ, you are not a threat. When you are, you become a threat. The, the battle is not over at salvation. The, the battle is not over at salvation. It's just the beginning. Okay? And, and the battle is expanding at that point. Paul could have left that home on straight street, lived out his life quietly, been, been saved, right? And just kept it to himself. He could have lived a selfish faith. But, uh, but I like the question, could he have really, <laughs> right? If you need God to change your life and make you new, I have some really good news for you. Um, he can do that right now. Like through the, li- through the live stream into your home, I know that there was like, it was skipping earlier or something was happening. But uh, if, if all we have to go through is skipping video uh, to get, to, to get what God's trying to get to us, then we're doing pretty good. People in other countries are worried about getting stormed in on and murdered and killed and separated. So, so I think skipping video is cool, right? Is that a, you know, but uh, you can get that right now. You can get that kind of life transformation right now through the camera, into your home, just right now, okay? God can transform your life. And then I have even better news for you. 
uh, once that transformation takes place, God continues to, to show you the plan that he has for you. Okay? And I promise you, I don't know what it is exactly, but it will involve you ministering and serving others. It will. I promise you it will. But we get to go. Now, this is awesome. We get to. We get to go from being dirty and torn on the outside to clean and whole on the inside with a new mission to help as many people as we can come into contact with experience that same encounter with Christ. That blows me away that God would want to use me for that or, or any of us for that. Like, but it, we get to be a part of that. Whatever you think is holding you back, whatever is giving you second thoughts, none of those things are too big for God to handle. They just aren't. No matter what it is, God can clean up your mess. But, but that isn't the end. It just isn't, okay? Not only does he clean up the mess, but then he continually gives you opportunities to get closer and closer to him through helping other people get closer and closer to him, right? right? Uh, praise team, come on up. I think I forgot to call you guys up last time. but uh, um, Let's see, Jimmy, what were our options? Waymaker or who you say I am? Man, both of those are good. You pick. User's choice. I trust you, all right? So I got a little story to end this thing here with. Uh, I played football for one year in high school. I, I was very small in high school. When I got into the ninth grade, I was like maybe five feet, and I weighed 68.8 pounds. I know that because I wrestled, and they weighed you for that, okay? Uh, 68.8 pounds. I was a little, little guy, okay? But I grew up to I'm still not a big guy, right? But I, I grew up a little bit, and in my senior year, my, one of, my best friend told me, he said, hey, let's play football this year. I said, you're crazy. He said, no, let's do it. I said, all right, whatever. So we did it, okay? If you want to play football your senior year, you've got to practice your junior year. So I guess it was kind of two years, but uh, I loved every minute of it. I really did. It was, it was a blast. I wasn't super great at it, uh, but it was just fun. The, the best part was the camaraderie of the team. Like being on the team, even someone that was small like myself that didn't really contribute much, after we had completed those two-a-days in the summer, we were all a team, okay? And we would rib each other and mess with each other, but we were still the same team, okay? And, and I'll never forget the, the lessons, some of the lessons I learned from my time there, but we would be out in the heat, in the hot, and we'd be running laps. And just we'd run on the field, they'd, they had a belt with a chain attached to a tire, and you would run through grass with that. And that's just barbaric. Like, I look back on it now, I'm like, what? Like, that doesn't, what? But hey, I guess it made you faster or something. But uh, maybe it did, I don't know. But uh, we'd, we'd do that, and then you'd take the belt off, and we'd go run laps around the, the football field because the track surrounded the field. And I think the motivation for the coach was it's 110 degrees on the field, but it's 125 degrees on the black rubber of the track, so I want to put them where it's hotter so they'll suffer more. And so we ran laps on the track, and it was, it was hot. And it was, sometimes it was twice a day you'd go out and do that. But there was something cool that the, sometimes it was the captains, but it was always the leaders of the team, something cool they would do. They, we would run our laps or run, and we'd be just dying, sweating buckets, just closer to death than anybody wanted to be at that moment, right? And, uh, and you would finish. And when you finished your, your laps or whatever, you could, you could stop and take a, take a breather, or you could go get a drink of water or something like that. Um, and that's what most people did. They would stop. But the leadership of our team, a lot of them, what they would do is they would cross the finish line, right? And then they would turn and look for a second, and they would locate the person who was furthest from the line. And that might mean that that person has laps, multiples, laps left, right? 
And they would go find that person and they would run with them. And at first I didn't understand that. I was like, why would you want to run more when you're, you're already done? Like you've already done what, what you need to do for you. Why would you want to run more? And, and uh, the more I think about it though, the more it clicks with me, right? They would go back and they would run with them. They'd give them encouragement. Sometimes they'd say, come on, you got this, let's go. And other times they just wouldn't say a word. They'd just run next to them, silent, right? But they had this attitude that no one was finished until we were all finished. And they had an unwillingness to leave anyone behind. And I think about how we could apply that to our faith, right? You see, we we all encounter Christ at, at different times in our lives, but... That encounter is not the finish line. It's merely the time for us to turn around and start helping other people reach that point as well. right? So this week, I always like to leave a challenge. I have two challenges this week. For some of you, I want you to search wholeheartedly. If you haven't had that encounter with Christ yet, you can. You can. I want you to search for that and truly give yourself up to Him. But if you've already had that moment in your life, Your job's not over. I want to challenge you to turn around and find find someone around you who hasn't gotten to that point yet, who hasn't hasn't found Christ yet, and be the instrument that God chooses to make a way for them. Live your faith like no one gets left behind. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon. If there's anything that... Uh, we can do to reach out and help you, or if you want to contact Grace Point Community Church in any way, uh, you can check us out online at gpcchurch.com. That's going to have a ton of information there on the website for you. And if there's something there that you need to know about that you can't quite find, uh, there's phone numbers to contact you to our staff, and uh, you can call them, and hopefully they can help you figure out um, what you need to know. But thank you for listening this week, and I hope you have a blessed week.